0: Uh, Matthew chapter 13, the word of God where it says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, Because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burnt, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and purchase in its perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed it into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world... And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burnt in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all, who is, and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teaching of the law, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven, is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. I'll just pray and then I'll invite Carl to preach. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for what we have just read about the parables of Jesus that speak about the kingdom of heaven. Father, these are serious words that we have just read where you as the harvester will one day come. And Father, our prayer is that you'll speak to us through your servant Carl this morning and that you'll stir our hearts and that we would respond in faith. Father, we pray also for the Sunday school who have just left. Father, be with those who would minister to them, give them what they need to do that. And Lord, we also pray for the young ones, that they too will come to know the love of Jesus. So Lord, we pray that you'll speak in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Before I begin, I just wanted to plug some books. I plugged a couple last week, but these are easier to read than the ones I normally plug. They're from a series called "Reading the Bible Today," and they're really helped. They're really written to help you read through the Bible. Surprisingly enough. Uh, but they, they're great for, for personal study. If you're, if you're reading Revelation and you uh, want to work out what's going on, then this is a great book uh, to read alongside Revelation. Uh, or Some people use them sometimes in one-on-one uh, kind of discipleship things. Or, or they're great if your Bible study is going through it, or if you're leading it or if you're in it and you want some more info. So there's one by, uh, by Paul Barnett on Revelation. There's one by Andrew Reid uh, on Daniel. Uh, Kirk Patson uh, on Isaiah, Martin Pakula on Numbers and uh, Graham Goldsworthy on on Proverbs. I thought uh, thought we had Peter Adam on Hebrews as well but I'm not sure about that. But anyway, so uh, they're in the book, on the book trolley at the moment. Well, not at the moment because they're down there but they will be there again later uh, so you can pick them up. Well... uh you might have uh, read in the, uh, in the bulletin that uh, this is the last week uh, for our series on Matthew for the moment. Uh, we uh, picked it up uh, again in, in chapter 8 and we've run through now to, uh, to chapter 13 and we finish with uh, the six parables that Jesus tells about the Kingdom of God. Uh, I don't know if Uh, That's a question that you find yourself asking, what is the Kingdom of God? Whether you lie awake at night asking what is the Kingdom of God like, the Kingdom of Heaven, uh, what is it like? But that's the question that Jesus uh, wants to answer here. Uh, You might wonder the more basic question, what is the Kingdom of Heaven Uh, rather than what is it like? Uh, But Jesus when he began his ministry, he began with these words in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So Jesus began his ministry by saying, you need to turn away from your life that you're leading and and turn toward me because the kingdom of heaven is near. So you kind of have to reckon then that understanding what the kingdom of heaven is and what it's like is really important. Why do this? Why should I give up my life? Why should I turn away from how I'm living and what I'm doing and follow you? Why should I do that? Well, Jesus tells us in these six uh, parables, and these six illustrations of the Kingdom of Heaven. In the first uh, parable that Ben read for us, uh, Jesus likens the Kingdom of Heaven to a field Uh, He says in verses 24 to 30 that uh, the kingdom of heaven, that the world is like a field sown with good and bad seed. Uh, At the moment the good and the bad seed are growing together uh, but eventually there's going to be this harvest and the weeds are going to be torn out and destroyed. And Jesus says that the world, the world is the kingdom of heaven. When we hear kingdom of heaven we think Heaven, right? We go, oh, it's all about heaven. What will heaven be like? But Jesus is saying, no, I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about the world. It seems a bit strange but, but basically the phrase uh, kingdom, well, kingdom means, well, that's the place uh, where someone rules and so the kingdom of heaven is where the ruler of heaven, God, rules. And, and Jesus is saying, that the rule of God, the reign of God is coming to earth, it's on earth, it's the place where God rules. Jesus says that the world, the kingdom of heaven though, is like that field in that it's full of good and bad, it's full of good seed and bad seed. Uh, In verse 38 Jesus says the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Uh, The sons of the kingdom is... uh, are the people uh, who belong to the kingdom. Uh, In the light of what we've seen as we've gone through Matthew, they're the people who have taken refuge in Jesus. You you might think of uh, the leper who came to Jesus. If you're willing, you can make me clean. I am willing, Jesus said. Or the centurion uh, who comes and expresses that tremendous faith uh, in Jesus. They're not necessarily the people who are more holy. They're not necessarily the people who have their lives together or who've got the Bible nailed. Uh, The Pharisees were like that but they weren't the sons of the kingdom, were they? No, the, the sons of the kingdom are the ones who have come to Jesus, who fled to Jesus and have taken their refuge in him. So there in the world, in this field, which is the world, there are the sons of the kingdom Uh, who who belong to the kingdom because they trust in Christ and then there are the sons of the evil one. So, uh, you know, here's the family. You either belong to one of two families. You belong to the kingdom family, to God's family or you belong to Satan's family. They're the people who don't want anything to do with Jesus. They might be impeccable people. They might be wonderfully... uh, Together, uh, they might have uh, their house paid off. They might uh, have a wonderful forty-year marriage. Uh, they might have a great job. They might be active in uh, the society and kind of in in uh, upholding the society and giving generously to things. But if they don't know Jesus, then they're a child of Satan. Jesus says that. At the moment, the kingdom of heaven is mixed. The world is mixed between people who love Jesus and people who don't. But although at the moment the world is mixed, Jesus also says that the time is coming when the harvest is going to come, when when everything will be brought in, when the wheat will be brought in, and the weeds will be brought in, and they'll be separated, and the weeds will be burnt. You get the same thing in the last parable, in the parable of the the net. In verse 47 Jesus says, Once again the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the fish, uh, the good fish in baskets but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The day of judgment, says Jesus, is like fishermen sorting between good and bad fish. The day of judgment is like the day of harvest when the wheat and the weeds are brought in and they're sorted out and thrown away. The weeds, Jesus says, will be thrown into everlasting fire. What is the Kingdom of Heaven like? It's a Kingdom that is mixed but will be sorted. Kingdom is Kingdom of Heaven is a mixed Kingdom that will be sorted. It's a sobering reminder, I think, uh, of the reality of the world. Uh, it's sobering, I think, because it's easy to look around, isn't it? It's easy to look at the state of the world and, and to sort of fall into complacency, it's what the writer of psalm 73 did he looked around and he saw the the, uh, the evil people prospering and he thought to himself well, maybe i'll just kind of throw my lot in with them as well i mean what's the point we're living in this mixed world and nothing seems to be happening happening i don't see the reign of god i don't see christ ruling but jesus says though the world is mixed now one day it's going to be sorted One day the people who don't belong to Jesus will be thrown into the fire, the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? I mean, times of weeping are the worst times in life, aren't they? Times of unspeakable anguish. Imagine a life of unspeakable anguish. Imagine a life of unspeakable bitterness. Jesus says, people who don't belong to him will be thrown into that fiery furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. One of my Bible lecturers always used to say that the day of judgement will be a surprising day. Not it will be surprising because it will come upon us like a thief in the night but it will be surprising as well because there will be an unexpected sorting. You know, there will be people who will think to ourselves you just totally expect that they'll be standing with Jesus and they won't be. You know, on the outside they've had this wonderful life but inside they had no time for Christ and there'll be people whose lives looked like they were falling to pieces but deep down had this unspeakable, wonderful trust in Jesus. What will be the basis for the gathering and sorting? Have you embraced what God has done for you in Jesus Christ or have you not? What is the Kingdom of Heaven like? The Kingdom of Heaven is a mixed Kingdom but a Kingdom that will be sorted. But that mixed nature of the Kingdom leads to problems. Uh, It leads to uh, confusion I mowed my lawn yesterday uh, with my uh, low-carbon uh, push mower, uh, and I've got some—I have the blisters to prove it. Uh, my soft typing hands don't cope well with the rigors of uh, lawn mowing, but um, that's possibly an overshare. But uh, but as I mowed my lawn, I noticed something. I noticed that it was full of weeds. Uh, it's full of clover. Uh, it's full of other things: dandelions, uh, paspalum. I had to—I I, uh, looked up on the internet the various weeds that I had. I think it's paspalum. Uh, you know, there's there's all these weeds scattered throughout the lawn. There's grass as well. But as I sit in my office and I uh, stare out the window, it looks wonderfully green. It, you know, it looks like this uh, beautiful lawn. But then when you get closer, you discover that it's some good and some bad. And it's the same with Jesus' kingdom. It's hard to see really how much grass is growing. It's hard to see whether the grass is really growing at all. It's hard to see whether Jesus' kingdom is really growing. When it's a mixed kingdom, it's hard to see what's going on. And so Jesus tells us these two other parables. Uh, In the middle of the chapter, he speaks about the irrepressible growth of the kingdom of heaven. And he says in verse 31 that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches." Or again, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large batch of flour until it worked through all the dough. Jesus uh, is saying that the thing about the kingdom is, is that it starts small but it grows. It grows like a, like a mustard seed which starts off tiny uh, but then grows into this great tree. Uh, or it's, uh, it's like... The, the yeast, uh, I don't know if you've ever made bread, I cast my mind back to the years when we had a bread maker at home, but you only need the smallest amount of yeast, don't you, in, you know, uh, among these, uh, uh, all this flour uh, and it does its job. It works its way through. It leavens the whole batch of flour. It's a small amount but it has a marvellous, a wonderful effect. Like leaven uh, in flour, like yeast in flour... The spread of the Kingdom of God is almost uh, imperceptible but it's broad and vast. It's enormous. You see, the mixed nature of the Kingdom means that it's hard to see the Kingdom growing. But Jesus encourages us by telling us that it is growing. It's growing from very small beginnings to be a great, enormous tree it's growing almost imperceptibly from a very small amount of yeast to infiltrate the whole batch. So the kingdom of heaven is not only a mixed kingdom that will be sorted, it's also a growing kingdom. Just, uh, even just thinking about the growth of Christianity over the centuries, that's true, isn't it? I mean, just think about it. It started, Christianity started with one man, Jesus. It started with uh, 12 guys Uh, And a bunch of women, the first day, uh, 3,000 people were converted on the day of Pentecost. And from there it spread throughout the entire Roman Empire. From there it spread uh, uh, from the Mediterranean through Europe uh, and throughout the entire world. And yet it's easy, isn't it, sometimes to look at the world and to think that the kingdom isn't growing to think that the kingdom is stagnating or, or shrinking even. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And yet, so often it doesn't really look like that, does it? Our work here seems hard. Fred uh, described it the other day as like ploughing rocks. Seems like that sometimes, doesn't it? But actually Jesus says the kingdom is growing. Maybe we just can't see it. Why might we not see the growth of the kingdom? Well, I think there's lots of reasons that we may not see the growth of the kingdom. Sometimes we don't see the growth of the kingdom because we have limited vision. Uh, We look at what's happening in our church uh, or our city or our state or our country uh, and the Gospel is not making enormous inroads in Australia. We look at Australia and America and England and Europe and Christianity seems to be contracting. But we forget that Christianity is expanding in South America and Africa and in China. Sometimes we don't see the growth of the Kingdom of God because God doesn't allow us to see it for a time. I remember uh, a guy that I studied with, his parents were missionaries in Niger for many years. Uh, and they went uh, kind of for a period and then came back to Australia. Uh, and, uh, you know, they spent all these years in Niger doing this missionary work. Uh, but when they left, they, they felt a bit deflated. They felt like they hadn't really achieved anything. They like hadn't really converted large numbers of people. And yet when they went back to Niger, I think it was about 10 years later, they discovered actually that in their absence the Gospel had been bearing fruit. I remember one story, it was not long before they left, they spent a night among these nomadic people and they shared the Gospel with people who'd never heard it before. They didn't have any time to stay so they left them with tapes that they could listen to. When they returned 10 years later, they they didn't think anything of it, Uh, They thought that their efforts uh, were not that uh, fruitful. When they returned ten years later they discovered that every year for ten years people from that small group that they'd met with for that one night had been returning to the same place every year in the hope of meeting them and telling them that they'd found Christ. While they sat in Australia tempted to be discouraged and deflated because the gospel was not growing, the gospel was growing and they just didn't see it. We might not see the growth of the kingdom because we have limited vision. We might not see it because God doesn't allow us to see it for a time. Sometimes we don't see the growth of the kingdom because the kingdom isn't growing in the way that we expect. You know, we might pray for a a close friend or a family member for years, pray that they would turn to Christ, and they don't. And because we're so focused on that, we miss, in fact, that all the time while that's been going on, the person that we work with has given their life to Jesus, the person that we've never been praying for. Or we invest huge uh, amounts of time and energy uh, into a person who finally accepts uh, Christ, only to go to another church down the road, a church which is closer to them. And because our church hasn't grown... We feel like the kingdom hasn't grown. Sometimes we don't notice the growth of the kingdom because we don't have the eyes to see. We don't see that the person that we're sitting next to in church has, ha, has begun to conquer that anger that they've been struggling with for years. We don't see that the person who's sitting next to us has been struggling for years to understand the very nature of the Gospel and that this morning when they got up, finally their eyes were opened. You see, there are so many reasons, aren't there, that we might not notice the growth of the Kingdom of God. But Jesus says it is growing, almost imperceptibly, like yeast spreading throughout the batch of dough, growing from a tiny beginning to be a great vast tree. What is the kingdom like? It's a mixed kingdom that will be sorted. It's a growing kingdom. The last thing which Jesus says about the kingdom of heaven is that it's a precious kingdom. In the last two parables, in verses 44 to 46, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Or again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. What is the kingdom of heaven like? It's like a treasure more valuable, not just than than anything that you have, it's a treasure more valuable than everything that you have. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you might think, uh, you know, what is my favourite thing, my most precious item in all the world? And Jesus says, not only is it more, more, more precious than that, it's more precious than every single belonging that you have, every achievement that you've ever made. I read uh, the other day uh, in the newspaper... About a group of guys who've been searching for 30 years for Lasseter's Reef. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Lassiter's Reef. I hadn't really. But uh, uh, Lasseter's Reef is this famed uh, lost gold deposit. There was a guy, Lassiter, and he uh, stumbled upon this quartz uh, deposit where, you know, supposedly the the uh, gold ran through it like plums through pudding. Uh, and so for years, people have been in in the hunt to find Lasseter's gold deposit. Uh, and these guys, you know, reckon that they might have found it. And uh, Jeff Harris, one of the guys involved in the expedition, uh, was quoted as saying this, Once I'd figured out I could decipher the diary, Lassiter left this diary, once I figured I could decipher the diary using Google Earth, I was over the moon. I stayed up 24 hours a day working on it. Some days... Sometimes I'd have a day off work to work on it. I had to keep going until I found the next clue. See, his, he discovered something, hadn't he? He'd, he'd discovered or he thought he'd discovered. Uh, the, the great gold deposit, the you know, great riches in the middle of Australia and he gave up his, his life. You know, he's giving up work. What, what a sacrifice. Giving up a day of work uh, to, to, to search for the gold, uh, spending all his spare time on it but it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I mean, he's not crazy. If you find a massive gold deposit, you know, you're know you in your right mind if you do everything you can to, 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 to get it and to find it and to make the most of it. And that's what Jesus is saying about the Kingdom of Heaven, it's wonderfully precious and when you find it, when you discover it, you'll give up everything to have it. I don't think Jesus is saying in the first place, That we need to give up everything to inherit the kingdom of heaven though that may be the case. For some of us we may need to give up lots of things to enter the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying though, it's a subtle difference, what Jesus is saying though is when you see the preciousness of the kingdom of heaven you won't even care. He's saying when you discover the greatness of the kingdom of heaven Who cares if you have to give up everything? Because it makes complete sense. It's obvious, isn't it? You'd gladly sell everything you have to own it. You see, until we see the immeasurable beauty of the Kingdom of Heaven, we'll never be able to embrace it so completely. If we see the Kingdom of Heaven and following Christ as a drudgery, as a great burden then we'll hang on to everything that we have. What we need to see is a vision of the greatness and the preciousness and the wonderfulness of the Kingdom of God. So let me give you some reasons in finishing why the Kingdom of Heaven is so precious. Why is the Kingdom of Heaven precious? The Kingdom of Heaven is precious first of all because it ends in eternal life, not in eternal death. We saw that in the first point, didn't we? That the, that the world will be sorted and that those who throw their lot in with Christ will find life forever. And those who don't will be thrown into the fiery furnace. Why is the kingdom of God precious? Surely that is a major factor. That it ends in life for eternity rather than death and misery for eternity. Why is the kingdom of heaven precious? It's precious because it leads not just to life in eternity, but it leads to life now. Outside of Christ, we're actually dying every day. Uh, you might say, I see I feel kind of alive. Uh, but actually the Bible says that you're not. We live a kind of a strange life. Uh, I heard it described the other day as kind of a living death. We're like zombies, right? We're the living dead. We're alive but we're not alive. That's because we were created to know our Creator. We are created to know uh, the Father and, the, and, and Jesus Christ, His Son and to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And so when we live a life without God, it's not a life at all. It's a half-life, not even that. It's a living death. But if we know Jesus, our life isn't a living death Every day it's more and more of what life ought to be. Every day there's new hope, new joy, new delight in God, new love for God and love from God. The Kingdom of Heaven is precious because it leads not just to life in eternity but to life now. The Kingdom of Heaven is precious as well because it, leads, it, it, it ends in complete healing. Jesus showed hints of that, didn't he, in his healing ministry. Uh, the lame walked, the blind saw, uh, the deaf heard for the first time. A friend of mine, uh, uh, only a few years older than me, is trapped uh, in a failing body. Uh, he, he studied with me at Bible College uh, and partway through he became very ill and now he's, he's been bedridden for four or five years. Why is the Kingdom of God precious to a man like that? It's precious because the Kingdom of Heaven ends in complete healing. Maybe not today and maybe not tomorrow, but the Kingdom of Heaven ends in certain and complete healing. Each one of us too faces the daily decline, don't we? Every day you get up with a new ache Uh, a new pain, Uh, every day your body seems to fail in another kind of way. um, A few weeks ago I got my eyes tested because I noticed that things in the distance were looking a little bit blurry. I'd always been so proud uh, of my 20-20 vision. I've got 20-20 vision. And uh, I discovered when I got my eyes tested the other day that that's not the case anymore. For the first time I discovered that my days without glasses were numbered. (laughs) And it's just a small thing, isn't it? But it's a symptom of a larger pattern that this life is a steady decline. Why is the kingdom of heaven precious? It's precious because it will end in complete and certain restoration. The kingdom of heaven is also precious because it ushers in an end to sin. Even if you're not a Christian, you must be able to see that the end of sin is a wonderful thing. Uh, even if you quite apart from uh, the things that we do to offend our Creator, even if we just think about the things that we do to hurt uh, the people that we love. We find ourselves, don't we, becoming bitter Uh, so often to those nearest to us. We fight them, we're rude to them. Uh, And and then when we go out of our way to show love to them, they're rude to us. Offence and lovelessness and selfishness seem ingrained, almost uncontrollable. They seem the default setting. We kind of recognise it, I think, when we say, it's only human nature. We recognise that our world is a world marred by sin where unkindness is the norm rather than the unusual. But the Kingdom of Heaven is precious because it's ushering an end to sin, an end to rudeness and hurt and lovelessness and selfishness and anger and an end to unrequited love, that painful love where you persist and show kindness and all you receive in return is bitterness. The Kingdom of Heaven is precious lastly because it will mean an end to grief and misery. I don't know if I'm the only one who spends my life dreading that phone call that my mother's passed away or that my father has cancer. Actually, my mother rang me yesterday uh, and I, and I, after writing the sermon, I thought to myself, "Oh no, what's going on? <laughs> I didn't expect it to ring on Saturday morning." But it's true, isn't it? We dread it. We dread the loss because we know that it's a part of life. Why will the kingdom of heaven? Why is the kingdom of heaven precious? It's precious because it will mean an end to grief and misery. Imagine that. Imagine living a life where you never had to worry about who was going to die tomorrow or what new illness was going to take over your best friend's life. It's almost impossible to imagine, isn't it? It's so foreign. Why is the kingdom of heaven precious? It's precious because it means an end to grief and misery. One of the great paradoxes of Christianity is that salvation, though a free gift, you know, we don't have to do anything, Jesus has done it all for us, though it's a free gift, embracing it costs us everything. But when you see the value of the kingdom of heaven, even just in that short list, who cares? Who cares what you have to give up? because we're receiving a kingdom that cannot perish, spoil or fade. You know, I, I keep buying potatoes. Keep buying potatoes and they just go off. You know, when you buy, and you buy, you buy a, a lounge and it fades, you know? Everything deteriorates. But the kingdom of heaven cannot perish, spoil or fade. Repent, says Jesus, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Why Why should we repent? We should repent because the kingdom of heaven, though it's a mixed kingdom, is a kingdom that will be sorted. Why should we repent? We should repent because the kingdom of heaven is a growing kingdom growing from imperceptible, small beginnings to take over the whole world. Why should we repent? We should repent because it's a precious kingdom, the most wonderful thing in the entire world. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing... Uh, Clarity with which Jesus taught about your great reign on earth coming through uh, him. Lord, uh, we just ask that as we think about the kingdom uh, which Jesus is ushering in, we ask that you would help us to sit up and take notice. Lord, more than that, that we would turn from our wayward lives and embrace your majestic King. Father, we ask that none of us would be found on the Day of Judgment as people deserving eternity apart from you. Lord, we pray that each one of us would trust, not in ourselves or in anything else but Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask, as we weigh up the great cost of following Jesus, we ask that you would set before our eyes the majesty and wonder of your eternal kingdom. Lord, the things that we've heard about, the things that we've thought about, can at the end of the day just be mere words But Lord, we ask that you would rend the heavens and come down, that you would open the eyes of our hearts and our minds, that in your word and in your Son, Jesus Christ, we would catch a glimpse of your precious kingdom, your growing kingdom, your eternal kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.